Well, this morning we are in Romans chapter 10. We have made it to double digits. Are you pretty excited? Uh, and we're going to jump right in, but we're going to be looking uh, this week at man's responsibility. Over the past few weeks, we've been focusing on God's sovereignty. But this week, Paul transitions us to look at man's responsibility. And we, uh, we open the passage with an interesting uh, glimpse of Paul's heart. So if you look at Romans chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. And right off the bat, as I've been studying this, this stuck out to me and made me just pause because I'm looking for Paul to go through things and teach us theology and do all these great things with this passage as he's transitioning from God's sovereignty to man's responsibility. But right at the very beginning, he says, I need to stop. I need to tell you about my heart and what I'm praying for for lost Israel. Well, I want to put it in context, but we have to go back to last week and steal some stuff from Ken uh, to see why this is here. So if you go back one chapter at the end of chapter 9, Paul says this, What then shall we say, that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith? But the people of Israel who pursued the law as a way of righteousness have not obtained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They They stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. And as I look in the context, I can just imagine Paul is uh, going through this and kind of telling them what has happened to Israel, why they are lost, what tripped them up. And as he's saying it, the emotions start overcoming him. Because he thinks through his life, and he understands that this is him. This is who he has been. He was somebody that, was met, uh, that missed and tripped over the stumbling stone. He was the one that was pursuing people who were following the way because he didn't know Jesus was the way. And I imagine the emotions uh, of, of who he would be without Christ started pouring over him. And he started realizing that this is a picture of him but Christ. He would be in the same boat with the Israelites that he's saying his heart and prayer are for, that they might be saved. But Christ interceded. He intervened, and he called him out of that way and into life through faith in Christ. And Paul starts off by saying, my heart, my desire, my prayers are populated with petitions to God to save the people of Israel, to save the Israelites who are stumbling because the Messiah that they're waiting on has come and they've missed him. They've rejected him. And that would have been me, but God. And so I'm going to be praying that but God for them. And that's my heart's desire. Now, I've been sent to preach to the Gentiles, but his heart still beats for the Jewish people who have rejected Jesus because he can relate so much to their story. 
And then he starts sharing a little bit of their story, which he knows very well. And it's a story of man's righteousness. And in this uh, passage, he's going to give us man's righteousness and contrast it with God's righteousness. And it's two ways. One that fails and one that ends in Christ. And so we're going to take a look at it because he starts out and says, For I can testify about them. He knows them. He has personal experience with the people of Israel. I know them. I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. I mean, here again, it's Paul basically saying, I understand this because this was me. I had passion. I had zeal. I had sincerity. I pursued the things that I thought would lead me to right standing with God. But it wasn't based on God's righteousness. It was based on my righteousness, on man's righteousness. It was not based on the knowledge that the Messiah had come and done what he said he was going to do and provided a way to have right standing with God. But I don't question their zealousness because they are sincere in what they pursue. But as John Stott points out, sincerity is not enough because we can be sincerely mistaken. I mean, what if all that they're pursuing is based on false knowledge? It's going to fail. And Paul points out that that is what the Israelites are doing. And he can testify because he was in their shoes not too long ago. He continues, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own. You know, when you don't have the right information, you can make it up yourself, right? And so the Israelites started trying to figure out how the things can work for them, what they were going to decide, and they created their own path, thinking sincerely that they were right, but they weren't. And they pursued this way through works and wanted to see God honored by with. Uh, by what they did. And Paul just puts this out there so that we understand that works don't work. Works is not a way to God. Works is a way to failure. And God, uh, Paul continues to build this case that man's righteousness, the pursuit of right standing with God through the means of man, fails. Sincere, sincerity can be sincerely mistaken Works don't works. And then he turns to Christ. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. And Paul is putting out Christ and saying, hey, this is in contrast to what the Israelites are doing and how he had lived his life. Because it was all based on self. It was all based on works. It was all based on their passion, but not based on Christ. And so they were trying to live out the law and be uh, obedient to it, but they missed the culmination of the law. And I got to go down to Dallas Theological Seminary a couple, of weeks, a couple of weekends ago with Anna and check out their online uh, theology degree programs. And one of the things we got to do was go to chapel. And the day of, I'm like, you know what? I bet they have published who is going to be speaking at chapel. And guess who it was? It was Uncle Chuck. I got to see 87-year-old Chuck Swindoll make his way to the podium and, and teach 
all the theology students at Dallas Theologicals. So I love that I get to use his quote. So Chuck says about the, I'm sorry, Uncle Chuck, Chuck Swindoll, I'm very excited. Uh, Jesus did not abolish the law. He fulfilled it. People no longer pursue the law as an expression of faith they place in God. They come directly to God in and through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. The law gets moved and Jesus gets put in and says, hey, I've provided a way directly to God. You no longer have to go through the law and and express your faith in God through the law. Go to Jesus. Go to God directly. But the Israelites have missed it. And they're pursuing their own way through their self. And Paul's trying to tell us that self isn't sufficient. You can't do it yourself. No matter what you muster up, no matter how you try, no matter how talented and gifted you are, you cannot obtain salvation on your own. Self is not sufficient. He wraps up this part of the passage by saying, uh, he brings in Moses. I mean, because who wouldn't? I brought in Chuck Swindoll, he brings in Moses. You tell me who you'd rather listen to. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by law. The person who does these things will live by them. And this, this is in Leviticus chapter 18. And God is using Moses to talk to the Israelites about, as they're coming out of Egypt and going into Canaan, he wants them to live counterculturally to both. He wants them to live in line with God and not uh, be polluted by the way these other two cultures live. But this passage, this sentence came to be known by some uh, as, hey, you can obtain perfection and salvation through perfect obedience. And Paul is using this to say, wrong. You cannot live in perfection Uh, to the law. You cannot obtain salvation on your own merits. And I summarize it as perfect obedience isn't possible. And you know, you can look in the garden where there was perfection and all provision of everything except one. And they couldn't do it. You fast forward, you see Israel being led out of Egypt into the promised land. Hey, obey me. They wouldn't do it. You can look at uh, the Israelites who have been looking for the Messiah, and Jesus is there and says, hey, I'm, it's me, live for me, and they don't do it. And you can look at last week in all of our lives and see that we can't do it. Man's righteousness leads to failure. And Paul's heart is broken because the Israelites are going the way of man's righteousness. Man cannot obtain God's righteousness through sincerity, works, self, or flawed obedience. It just doesn't work. And Paul wants to make it abundantly clear that that's why he is praying for the Israelites to come to know the Lord and be saved. So let's pause. And let's just ask this question. How is your heart for the lost? Paul starts off his passage remembering his old life and where so many of his brothers and sisters are still. 
his Jewish brothers and sisters are still stuck stumbling over Jesus. And that moves him to want for them what he has now. And his desire of his heart, his prayers are populated with those petitions, asking for God to move in their life and bring them to him. So what's in your heart? Do the lost around you ever come to mind? When you are with family members, maybe that don't live under your roof, do you ever think about their eternity? When you see news stories of things that are happening around the globe, think of India right now. Do you even have any inclination of, man, that's a lot of people that probably don't know the Lord. My guess is maybe not. And the reasons are going to vary. And I'll, I'll throw out some that I came up with, and then maybe the Holy Spirit lays something else on your heart. I mean, to me, busyness. We have busied our lives so much that it crowds out the opportunities that God may have uh, for us in terms of seeing and interacting with the lost. We're so wrapped up in ourselves and our busy lives that we miss those opportunities and we don't even see them. It's not even a thought we have. It may be that we just don't have the theology we need. We don't We're not really sure if there's actually a physical heaven and a physical hell. And because of that ambiguity that we're not pursuing truth in, we just go, eh, it's not a big deal. Or maybe we've become so detached from our Bibles that we become detached from God's heart for the lost. And we just haven't been picking up our Bibles, and so we've just been drifting from the heart of God. Because this is on his heart. Those who do not know him are on his heart. They are known by him. And that's a problem. Maybe you find something else in your life that you're like, this is is probably why. But this is a great week to go before the Lord and pray. To go before the Lord and say, God, I want to have a heart after yours. I want what's on your heart and what's your desire to be my heart and my desire. To search the scriptures. To see all the places that God wants to use us to impact other people. And that the reality of heaven and hell permeates our mind and our hearts. And gives us a different perspective as we go about our weeks. Paul now contrasts that with man's righteousness with God's righteousness by saying, but the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the grave. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. Paul now uh, uses some uh, illustrations to say, hey, we don't, what, it, it doesn't say go up into heaven or go raise uh, the Messiah from the grave. That has already happened. We don't have to do that because that would be impossible for us to do. But God has already done that through Jesus. Jesus has come down. 
He also has died. He has also been raised from the dead. And he is near you. And for Paul, his words are in his mouth. And he uh, has the heart of Christ. And they're proclaiming this message. And what Paul's trying to say in contrast to man's righteousness is God's righteousness is readily accessible. You don't have to go looking for it. You don't have to go obtain it. You don't have to go wake Jesus up and say, hey, I think you're supposed to come down here or go down to the grave and say, hey, it's time to raise. It's already been done. And God's righteousness is readily accessible. Paul then goes on and summarizes the gospel in a a well-known passage. He says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I mean, what a great verse as you talk with people when they say, what is the gospel? It's confessing with your mouth, believing in your heart. It's an inward belief and an outward confession of who Jesus Christ is. And we call out knowing that we need rescued and that there's only one who can rescue us. And we call out to him in our desperation and say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you did what you said you did and that you will do what you say you will do because I trust you. I believe in your life, your death, your resurrection, and that you are coming back to gather your own. John Stott says this about this passage. Implicit in the good news are the truths that Jesus Christ died, he was raised, he was exalted, and now reigns as Lord and bestows salvation on those who believe. This is not salvation by a slogan, but by faith. That is, by an intelligent faith which lays hold of Christ as the crucified and resurrected Lord and Savior. That is the gospel. That is the gospel Believers have embraced and believed in, and that is the gospel that we are to go out and proclaim to the nations. And what Paul is trying to say in this passage is that God's righteousness is readily available to all. No distinction between Jew and Gentile. Everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But he also wants to make another point. God's righteousness is dependent on Christ. Not on self, not on sincerity, not on works, but on Christ alone. And so many of us probably need this reminder, whether it's someone that has been pursuing like I did through my high school years, just trying to be a good kid, just wanting to be better than others so that I could feel like at the end, when God weighs my good deeds and my bad, how many people think I was a good kid versus how many people knew I was a bad kid, it would all weigh out well, and God would go, okay, good enough. Paul makes it clear, good enough is not enough. 
Christ is enough. Christ alone is enough. In this contrast that Paul has made between man's righteousness and God's righteousness has eternal implications. And so if you found yourself striving and thinking to yourself, I need to get right, I need to make changes in my life, I need to get cleaned up before I can come to God, understand you will never get there. Jesus says, come. You don't have to do the work. I've done it for you. You don't have to be good enough because you never will. I came and took care of it for you. Sin had bankrupted your souls, and I paid that balance in full through my life, my death, and my resurrection. And for believers, often we forget, right? We, we forget that Jesus has done it, and it's all about him, and it's not based on our efforts and stuff. And so we just put Jesus over here, we put his word over here, we put prayer over here, and we go do our own thing for him that we never talk to. And we've got to remember, it's all about Jesus. Well, Paul then goes on to talk about uh, a question he has, and he, the big question he's asking is, Israel accountable for their rejection? Did God do enough that Israel can be held accountable? And he starts with some rhetorical questions, and he says, how then can they call on the only one they have, on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You know, we've probably all asked these questions, right? At some point, what about the people over there, the people over here? I mean, what about them? Are they accountable to to God to put their faith in Christ? Is God trustworthy to execute his plan to let everybody know about him and have an opportunity to accept or reject him. And Paul's asking this in terms of the Israelites. And as the other passage we just looked at ends with, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, Paul starts, well, how can they call on him if they haven't believed? And how can they believe if they haven't heard? And how can they hear if someone isn't preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Is Israel responsible for their rejection? Well, Paul uses a whole bunch of Old Testament passages to say yes. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. And he quotes an Old Testament passage. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And then Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands 
to a disobedient and obstinate people. All day long, I've held out my hands, wanting Israel to come. They have heard, they have had the opportunity, and I've been right here, and they have rejected me. God is trustworthy. He has done what he said he would do. He has made known, even to Israel, salvation has come through the Messiah who is Christ. But they have tripped over him. They are accountable. Summarizing the whole passage, the righteousness of God provided through faith in Christ is available and accessible to all, leaving us with no excuse, but with the purpose of making him known. And this is where I think we have an opportunity. You know, Paul has such a huge intention to talk about Israel, his heart, his desire, his prayers for Israel to come to know Christ and to answer that question, is God trustworthy and has, is Israel accountable? And, and the answer is yes, God is trustworthy, Israel is accountable. But what about for us? I think it goes back to how will they not know if they, if, how will they call on one they have not believed? How can they believe that they haven't heard? How can they heard if there's no one there to preach? And how can they preach if they haven't been sent? And it comes back to kind of our core here at Fellowship. Kind of the call of the church to know Christ and make him known. Not just in these walls, but in our community, beyond our community, and to the ends of the earth. And we usually talk about it in, in four categories. Pray, go, send, and welcome. We can all be praying. And for some of us, it may need to start with why we don't have any desire to pray for the lost. And that's that we need to pray through this week, God, why is my heart not like yours? What needs to change? How will you change me? Do I need to change anything to allow your heart to be my heart. But then we also pray. We pray for the salvation of those under our roof. We pray for our family members who don't know the Lord. We pray for our co-workers who don't know the Lord. We pray for our community. We pray for our leaders. We pray for the nations. When we see those news stories, like in India with the, the rapid COVID devastation, we don't go, oh, that's terrible. Glad it's not us. We go, Lord, use this to glorify your name by bringing people to you. I don't understand how you're going to do it. I don't know if, if it's it, how you're going to accomplish it, but I know you can, and I know that's your heart, and I pray for those people. Let those stories not make you more and more callous, but uh, have a more tender heart for God's purposes. Another option is going. And we have seen people come through our student program, graduate, go to college, and then go to the nations, go to other countries, go to missions organizations, even here uh, in the U.S. Man, we can go. You can go on short-term missions. God willing, we're going to be back uh, in Nicaragua this coming year. Uh, the students are going back to Mission Arlington. Czech is still very closed down with covid uh, but we, we're going to get back to our sh short-term trips. But 
we have people who are long-term missionaries. Later on, uh, the first week of June, we're going to hear from our most recent long-term missionary, Kandra. She's back from Romania for a, a month or so, and she's going to come share some of her stories. We can go. In fact, uh, I'll, I'll embarrass him a little bit. Right over here, this good-looking guy. No, the other one. Sorry. Uh, Joe Gober is a missions mobilizer with Pioneers. He is one of our bulletin missionaries. If you turn your bulletin over, his name is on there. You can circle and go, that's, that's that good-looking guy over here. He has a table out there that our missions team has set up. He is here. He would be a great resource. If God has been kind of pulling on your heart to go or to explore or to get some questions answered, that's the answer, questions, go guy. So go see him. We also send. And, and to me, this is, I mean, we can supply. I mean, if we can't go, let's supply. Let's fund. Let's pray. Let's encourage uh, those that are going. Huge, huge, huge. And a big encouragement would be stopping by Joe's table and say, praise God for what you're doing. Tell me a little bit about it. And, and he, I, you will, right? Okay. Because if you make it awkward, it's going to look bad on me. Okay. Perfect. And then we can welcome. One of the things I have seen, I've been here about 16 years, is the crazy explosion of what God is doing by less and less Americans going to the, to the nations and more and more of the nations coming here. And I want to say, and Shar, if you nod your head yes or no, it would help me. I think last year before COVID, or two years ago before COVID, there was like 180 international students at UCA. I'll give you a side eye just in case. Okay, close enough. Uh, if it's not true, it should have been. Uh, but a ton of international students coming to Conway. And we have the opportunity to welcome them, to invite them into our homes, to hear their stories, to share our stories, to build relationships and tell them about Christ. International Friendship Outreach, IFO, is an organization we partner with, and they provide rides to and from the airports. They uh, host and, and provide food for uh, conversations to be had. Great way to be part of welcoming the nations that are coming to little old Conway, Arkansas. But regardless, if you have put your faith in Christ, we need to look back and remember what, where we would be but Christ. I remember my college days before Christ. And I look at what God did through Christ and where I am today. And when I take time and remember, it motivates me to move forward. It motivates me to reach out to other people, to share my story, to see uh, if I can't share Christ with other people. And it gives me a, a bigger heart for those who don't know him. So what are some next steps? Well, some next steps might be that you're going to pray for one of those four areas. Man, uh, maybe your desire just isn't there. You never think about the lost. Uh, that just never crosses your mind. And when you think about other countries and other people, maybe you're just hard against them and you're like, you know what, I, I just don't care for them at all. It's okay to go to God with that and ask him for his perspective and his heart. And maybe that's what you need to do is take this week and pray through that. Maybe you take uh, your life and look around and see who 
maybe doesn't know the Lord. Maybe they've made it abundantly clear that they are not a Christian. And daily, you just take five minutes and pray for them. God, would you move in their life? Would you draw them to yourself? Would you break the walls, drop the scales? Would you bring them into the family? Or maybe you take our bulletin and you go, we have missionaries that have gone and we need to continue to be the supply. We need to continue to send well. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to get on their mailing list. I'm going to respond when they mail out updates. I'm going to let them know that we are here and we got their back. And we're going to love them well. Maybe the Lord's moving in you uh, through the Holy Spirit a a different way for a next step and, and go that way. But we need to do something with this. We need to understand that Christ is the way. And if we have put our faith in that, we need others to know that and make him known.